Hello, everyone. My name is Blake Lunsford. With me is the pastor of Grace Baptist Chapel, Ryan Davidson. Grace is a Reformed Baptist church in Hampton, Virginia, which professes the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith. And this week, here we are again, continuing to journey through the confession chapter by chapter. This week, chapter two. Ryan, how you doing, brother? I'm doing well, brother. Good to see you. You too. So chapter two of our confession is titled Of God and of the Holy Trinity. And like last week, this is another foundational chapter. It's crucial to our understanding of Reformed theology. And as you can see in just a moment, it does contain some rather technical language, but it's a very rich, very sweet chapter. Uh, Ryan, let's get into this. First question, is it fair Is it fair to say that this particular doctrine, the doctrine of God, that it's one of the most underrealized or misunderstood doctrines today? I think so, brother. And I think uh, part of that is because many churches have kind of lost connection to the Reformation and Puritan era uh, confessions of faith. And I think what you see over the last 100 years is churches writing smaller confessions of faith. And so, you know, when you see a church's statement of faith and they've got, you know, one sentence on the doctrine of God, people, as they confess less, they learn less. And I think that's probably why it's misunderstood. Yeah. Just not enough today written on it. Right. Well, let me read. We're going to read the first chapter in our confession. There's three chapters in three paragraphs, rather, in chapter two. Let me read the first paragraph. This is of God and of the Holy Trinity. Paragraph one, the Lord, our God is but one only living and true God whose subsistence is in and of himself infinite in being and perfection, whose essence cannot be comprehended by any but himself, a most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts or passions, who only hath immortality dwelling in the light, which no man can approach unto, who is immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, Almighty, every way infinite, most holy, most wise, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will for his own glory, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin, the rewarder of them that diligently seek him, and withal most just and terrible in his judgments." hating all sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. All right, that's the chapter. A lot of, lot of terminology in there. Pastor Ryan, anything here, any particular terms that you think are especially in need of clarification? Yes, I mean, I think, you know, that paragraph in chapter 2 is lengthy, and a lot of those words we might already recognize, immutable, right, he doesn't change, uh, eternal, you know, he is uh, timeless. He always exists. And most of these are words that come right out of the text of Scripture. But there are a few words here that may not ring clear in the minds of readers when they first see them, particularly modern readers. The first word is that word subsistence. It's, you read it. It says, whose subsistence is in and of himself. I think, you know, that's a technical word that we need to consider. Um, I'll, I'll just read a, a sentence or, or so. Jim Renahan and his uh, new work to the judicious and impartial reader, which I would commend to listeners, um, that just came out, says this, 
Um, quote, this one God exists by and from himself. The term subsistence is used twice in this chapter, each instance carrying a different sense. In this first occasion, the one that we're talking about, it refers to the self-existent life of God. And then he gives a very technical definition from the theological dictionary. Um, so I, I think that when we see that word subsistence, we can just say to ourselves that that word has to do with God's self-existence. God's self-existent life is in and of himself. But there's a second word that I think is worth mentioning. And that is the word that is the word parts. Now, we all know what the word parts means, but the text says that God is without body, which means he doesn't have a physical body, but he's without parts. This speaks to the doctrine of divine simplicity, the idea that God is not made up of parts, that God is not put together like building blocks or even like we are. We are body and soul. His existence is not dependent on lesser parts to make him up. And that's very necessary. And this is called divine simplicity. So when we say that God is not made up of parts, it is that God, as Jim Renahan would say, is not a composite being. He's not the sum total of divine attributes, but he simply is all that he is. But then that third word that I think is worth mentioning, and that is the word God is without passions. You know, we use that word passion in our day to, to mean something like, I'm passionate about world peace. I'm passionate about good coffee, these kinds of things. But the word passions essentially means being acted upon from the outside. Sometimes that word can be associated with emotions. You know, I see something and it makes me happy and I laugh. Or I see something and it makes me sad and so I'm moved and my response is to cry. Mm. But God is unchanging. God is not a God of passions like us. He's not impacted from the outside and thus changed in any way within. The term for that is divine impassibility. God is impassable. And that's helpful to us because when we say that God loves me, what we don't mean is God sees me today and he's moved in compassion for me and therefore he loves me more than he does did yesterday. No, God simply is love. And he is eternal love always toward me. And that's a very practical doctrine. Mm -hmm. So the words subsistence, without parts, and without passions, a reader might see those and think, what does that mean? And that's just the beginnings of some things that we could, we could say about those three more technical ideas. Yeah, and it's, as we could spend a lot of time parsing these things out. Um, let's finish it up here today. And Lord willing, we can continue to speak about this doctrine um, also next week. Any further thoughts, brother? Just one thought. This coming Lord's Day evening, that will be Sunday, February the 5th. Uh, our evening sermon will be uh, about the doctrine of God, specifically this paragraph and uh, some parts of it that we may see in Exodus 3. So I want to encourage you to come if you're able, as we'll look at even more words than the ones we've looked at today. Yeah, good stuff. All right, looking forward to that. Um, all right, everyone, hope this is helpful for you, and Lord willing, see you guys next week.